Hey, my name is Cindra Kampoff, and I'm a small town Minnesota gal, Minnesota nice as we like to say it, who followed her big dreams. I spent the last four years working as a mental coach for the Minnesota Vikings, working one-on-one -on -one with the players. I wrote a best-selling book about the mindset of the world's best, and I'm a keynote speaker and national leader in the field of sport and performance psychology. And I am obsessed with showing you exactly how to develop the mindset of the world's best so you can accomplish all your goals and dreams. So I'm over here following my big dreams and I'm here to inspire you and practically show you how to do the same. And you know, when I'm not working, you'll find me playing Miss Pac-Man. Yes, the 1980s game, Miss Pac-Man. So take your notepad out, buckle up, and let's go. This is the high performance mindset. John Kabat-Zinn said, the little things, the little moments, they aren't little. Winnie the Pooh said, the things that make me different are the things that make me me. And Dr. Joseph Parent, who we have on the podcast today said, you can't know for certain if it's a bad round until the round's over. Let go of the poor result you had on the last hole and you'll have a better chance of enjoying the hole you're playing now. This is Dr. Cinder Kampoff and thank you so much for joining me here today on episode 409 with Dr. Joe Parent. If you know that your mindset is essential to your success, then you are in the right place. And today I'm grateful that you're here. We have Dr. Joe on the podcast and I read his book Zen Golf several years ago and I loved it. And I'm so excited for him to be on the podcast today. I know you will learn a lot from this episode and gain some wisdom. And for those of you who don't know, I'm a keynote speaker and mental performance coach where I work with organizations, teams, and businesses, as well as one-on-one -on -one with clients. So if you are looking for someone to help you level up in 2021 or be your best more often, just reach out to me at syndra at syndracampoff.com. That's my email address there, and the offer is always there. Today's guest is Dr. Joe Parent, who's an expert in performance psychology and applied mindfulness, working with athletes, actors, artists, and executives. His books have sold more than 1 million copies. In the field of athletic performance, for example, he has the singular distinction of coaching both a man, Vijay Singh, and a woman, Christy Kerr, to number one in the world golf rankings. Golf Digest magazine honored Dr. Parent in their list of the top mental game experts in the world. His international bestseller, Zen Golf, Mastermind the Mental Game, introduced mindfulness as the foundation for excellence in golf and has sold more than half a million copies. Reviews call it highly original and exciting, a book that has become a classic. Other popular books authored by Dr. Parent include Zen Golf, How to Make Every Putt, Zen Tennis, The Best Diet Book Ever, and his latest, A Walk in the Wood, Meditations on Mindfulness with a Bear Name Who. In this episode, Dr. Joe and I talk about his PAR system of continuous improvement, what he sees the best in the world doing and how we can replicate that, how mindfulness is a state of being and a practice, how your mind can be like a time machine and what to do about it, his ninja system of behavior change, and why you need to give up control to get control. Now you can find the full show notes 
over at syndracampoff.com slash 409 for episode 409. And I'm very excited to share this one with you. Make sure you share it with someone who needs to hear this today. You can copy and paste the link wherever you're listening, text it to a couple of friends. You could post it on social media and tag myself and Dr. Joe. And if this is the first time that you are here on the podcast, please hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes in the future. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Joe Parent. Dr. Joe, thank you so much for joining me here on the High Performance Mindset Podcast. Can't wait to talk to you. There's so much that we're going to cover in this interview, and I'm just grateful to spend uh, time with you and to learn more about your principles. And one of the books I read many years ago was Zen Golf, and uh, I'm really looking forward to talking to you about this as well as your other great books that you have. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on here with you and to meet you um, face-to-face, if not in-person. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it feels close to in-person. Um, so, uh, Dr. Joe, just get us started and tell us a little bit about what you're most passionate about. Uh, number one, uh, you know, I... I got started in college. I was always a science and math whiz in high school, and I went to Cornell in the School of Engineering. But something happened while I was there, and I I decided I wanted to focus on what was most important to me. And I realized that it was less important to me to invent a cleaner running engine to reduce air pollution. Okay. Uh, but better to help people have cleaner running minds to reduce mental pollution. I like it. <laughs> so working with my own state of mind and others. Uh, so I transferred into psychology. Uh, and I, I knew I didn't want to go to abnormal or clinical psychology and become mm-hmm. a therapist. Um, I felt like ordinary people have enough stuff going on. So I majored in social psychology. That was, that was my focus. Uh, not long after that, I got involved and interested in Eastern wisdom traditions. Okay. Particularly Buddhism. Yeah. Uh, and met uh, a couple of my main Buddhist teachers and was introduced 50 years ago. So, you know, uh, before it became currently in vogue to mindfulness practice, mindfulness and awareness practice. That's what has been the base, the basis of everything that I've done. So initially it was working with mindfulness and awareness practice for uh, presence and self-discovery. Okay. Also for uh, stress management. Um, the, the golf connection came okay. when I was teaching a program and a young golf pro came to attend it to learn about mindfulness. And I said, you're a golf pro, this is cool, let's go out on the golf course. Because I'd played since I was a teenager, but but wasn't that good. Um, and we get on the course and he says, okay, tell me what my mind is doing on the golf course. And I said, I got a deal for you. I'll tell you what your mind is doing on the golf course if you tell me what my body is doing on the golf course. <laughs> he became partner. He gave me mm. some instruction. I helped him understand the mental game. Uh, and that led to uh, him inviting me to do clinics with him. And that was really the stepping stone to my um, getting into sport psychology. 
I've, okay. already been, I've already been working with individuals and with businesses consulting mm -hmm. on communication skills and leadership and, and stress management and handling the challenges of change mm -hmm. uh, and, and working with habit change based okay. on mindfulness principles. Okay. But then to, to take this out of, the, out of the office and onto the golf course, that was fabulous. So, yeah. so that has been my passion for the last uh, 30 years and started working with, with pros for the first time about um, a little less than 25 years ago. Not long after I started, uh, I one one pro led to a higher level pro led to a a tour pro, and then in 2002, just shortly after Zen Golf came out, I started working with DJ Singh mm -hmm. and helped him get to number one in the world in the middle of Tiger's reign. It was he was the only one who broke through in wow. a solid eight year period when Tiger was number one in the world. A few years later, Christy Kerr got in touch with me, and and I was I was very gratified to help her get to number one in the world as well. So um, it's been a privilege to work with great athletes in in that way. Now my sister, okay, has been writing and editing children's books for Disney for over twenty years, and a, a woman editor at Disney had read about a Japanese practice of getting back to nature uh, that and she said and it involved mindfulness so she contacted my sister and said I know your brother teaches mindfulness would the two of you like to write a book together because getting back to nature the perfect character for that is uh, does a bear live in the woods yes Winnie the Pooh Oh, wonderful. That lives in, in the woods in the 100 acre wood. So um, she had this title in mind. And my sister and I wrote this book called A Walk in the Wood, Meditations on Mindfulness with a Bear Named Pooh. Now, my wife, is, who I met through my sister, is a graphic designer for Disney. And, wow. she, and she is the designer for the book. So she did. Oh, isn't that wonderful? And the interior design and, and did a beautiful job. Now this book is my is kind of my baby because it's my latest book and it's mm -hmm. the one it's for everyone. It's for kids. I like to say from four to one hundred and four because who doesn't want Winnie the Pooh? Right. And um, and it's really for families because um, there are stories of Winnie the Pooh and then. Between the stories are adult language instructions in meditation, oh. mindfulness, kindness, gratitude, um, compassion, uh, forgiveness, patience, all these different virtues that are family values. So this is really a book for um, parents to read to their kids. And then as the kids get older, for the kids to read to their parents and actually do the practices together at whatever age is appropriate. So, so that's, that's kind of my baby. Uh, and, and it is all about mindfulness and kindness. And don't we need yes. more mindfulness and kindness in the world today? Yeah, for sure. In the world today. And I'm also thinking, you know, I have two boys and uh, even having it more in my own family would help us a lot. And I know help them continue to thrive. So what a gift. And I can see that why it's your baby, if it's, 
you know, your people that you love, you get to contribute with them. Uh, that's really wonderful. So uh, the book is uh, Walk in the Wood, uh, Meditations on Mindfulness with a Bear Named Pooh. So I'm also thinking, uh, Dr. Joe, what you said about like your work just grew in golf. That's because you were doing good work, right? And it's like, if you weren't doing good work, it wouldn't have spread to some of these people that be, you, you helped um, contribute to their, their success. So tell us a little bit about, since your, your practice is mindfulness-based, and um, I think a lot of the listeners know what mindfulness is um, and might even practice it, but tell us what that means from your perspective and how you, you, know, you might help people use it in their life and in their work and in their sport. Uh, yes, and, and I think you'd be surprised uh, that there are, it's a mix and a lot of people who really don't haven't heard or <clears throat> or don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. But mindfulness, if you think about just the word, first mind, so it's working with your mind. Full, your mind full. Now usually the word mindful is a is uh, the meaning would be paying attention. And that is exactly what mindfulness is. It's paying attention. But more than that, we we can use mindful in another word, and that is your mind is full of your experience in the present moment. Uh, Too often our mind is full of thoughts about the past or the future with regrets about the past and hopes and fears for the future. And it fills our minds with all sorts of unnecessary anxiety. But this practice is to um, shift your attention and be mindful or pay attention to what you're experiencing in the present moment in a continuous stream, moment to moment to moment, for as long as that lasts. Yes. So mindfulness is both a state of being and a practice. So the state of mindfulness is presence. Mm -hmm. The practice of mindfulness is noticing when you're someplace else that your mind has wandered and gone to the past or the future and and i try to explain that your body is always in the present its location in space is here its location in time is now your body is always in the here and now but your mind is a time machine yes and it can go to spend a lot of time in the past and future for our peak performance and this Mm -hmm. is the performance podcast Yes. For the peak performance, your mind and body need to be synchronized. Mm -hmm. Same place at the same time, focusing on the same things. So the only place you can do that is the here and now, because that's the only place your body can be. Yeah. Training is very, Mm -hmm. very simple, easy, as my teacher said, easy to do, hard to accomplish. And the easy to do part is just noticing waking up there's a moment when we all wake up from a daydream otherwise we'd go off in one and never come back but waking up from the daydream in that moment we make a choice do we continue on in it do we go into a different daydream or do we come back to what we were doing because the interesting thing for me is the ancient indian language from 2500 years ago The word to describe mindfulness is sati, and it means remembering what you are doing. 
Oh, we all have that experience that we headed for the kitchen. We got a little distracted. Yeah. And then we finished with that, went to the kitchen and we came in and we go, okay. What am I doing? (laughs) Why did I come in here? That just happened to me this morning, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember what I was doing. That's a lack of mindfulness. Mm. So remembering what you're doing is this capacity to keep track and pay attention. The keeping track is the awareness. The paying attention is the mindfulness. So mindful awareness is paying attention Mm -hmm. and noticing when you've wandered and coming back to that object of attention. Yeah. So that in a nutshell is the practice of mindfulness. Now the best anchor for that Mm -hmm. is not just your, your body, the physical body, but the process of breathing because breathing also relaxes you. As you know, as a sports psychologist, when you inhale, that energizes. When you exhale, it's, it, it activates the uh, relaxation part of our system. So nice, full, deep exhalations tend to settle us and relax us. Because when we're under stress, our energy moves up in our body and faster. We use our breathing to counter that by slowing everything down and moving our energy down, like out of our head and into our body. Yeah. Yeah, and good. people in sports performance and in business performance, they overthink things. They mm-hmm. get in their head and yes. they lose connection with their body. Yeah. And that's when performance suffers. Yeah. Oh, I could ask you so many follow-up questions to what you just said. I think, I think, uh, Dr. Joe, like what's helpful, I, I want to point out is what you said. It's like a skill and a practice. So it's something that you develop. That's make makes me think of a skill. But then it's the practice of being mindful. One other thing. Mm-hmm. People get confused, and here's good news for you. People think, well, distraction is my default mode. I have to find this mindfulness. I have to find this. Ah. Ability, okay. ability to stay present. It, it's, it's not something that you have to find. It is our natural state of being. Our natural state of being is that our mind and our body are simply here. Hmm. What happens is distractions overlay that with confusion and take us away. But that's why, because it's our natural state of being, that's why we wake up from a daydream. There's a gap in the thought process, and where do we find ourselves? Awake. Sure. In the present, and we find ourselves not someplace else, but in the present moment. So that's the default state. You don't have to figure out how to be present. You already are. The skill is the re- is the training yourself to return to that, to have that intention that I won't just stay in distraction when I wake up from it. I won't mm-hmm. go back into the daydream. I'll return to what I'm experiencing in the present. And that's the practice. Excellent. So um, a couple of questions I have to follow up that is, you know, when you think about goals and goal setting, and um, I'm thinking about even some of the best in the world, right? They, they have some goals and what they'd like to do. Where do you think that fits in with mindfulness? Because, you know, that's maybe thinking about the future. So what are your thoughts about um, where does that come into the practice of mindfulness? That's a great question. And I want to start by quoting one of my Buddhist teachers who came over from Tibet in uh, 1970 and started teaching in America. And he said, you have your vision, 
and then you adjust. Mm. So awesome. goals, goals are visions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We need to have a vision, mm -hmm. otherwise we don't have direction. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, and it said that that vision or or wisdom and skills are like two wings of a bird. If you have the skills, but you don't have a vision of how you're going to apply them, and mm -hmm. where you want to and and what you want to accomplish with them, they don't help you. If you have the vision of what you want to accomplish, but you don't have the skills, you won't get it done. So you yeah. have you have to have both together. Now, the the idea of vision and goal is that's your goal, and goals are something that uh, aren't necessarily objective or measurable. Okay, um, objectives are measurable, so they are the stepping stones in the direction of your goals and your vision. Now you can consider a goal being number one in the world. Sure. In a particular yeah. state. That's mm -hmm. your goal. But you can't go from number 180 to number one tomorrow. You need to have the stepping stones so yes. that that's the vision. Now, what's the difference between getting ahead of yourself? Yeah. And, and fantasizing about being number one. Yes. Staying in the present. Okay. If you, you can have a vision, and I remember Gary Player visualizing himself holding the trophy at the end of the uh, of a major tournament, and he saw himself and he said, okay, everything I do, I want to be in the direction of fulfilling that vision. But he didn't just play golf, spending the whole time imagining himself hold a holding a trophy. No. He did that as his inspiration, and then... Yes, yeah did the stepping stone. So, so yep, your, your vision for the future and your planning, you have to be able to plan, but you have to know the difference between I'm in the present and aware of my circumstances in the present and what I can do as next steps. That's a very important phrase, next steps, and know that what I'm doing in the present is planning for the future. But I also know that these plans for the future are subject to change because the future is unpredictable. Mm -hmm. but this, so, so I have my vision. I'm ready to adapt and adjust. And I have my next steps toward that vision. And then after you do the next steps, you pause, reevaluate, maybe, maybe adjust your vision if you need to, and then start again. In Japan, it's called Kaizen or the path of continuous improvement. Oh, sure. And yeah. I brought that out in Zen Golf as the PAR approach or PAR system, preparation, action, response to results. You prepare. If it's a business presentation or if it's a round of golf, you do your preparation or a golf shot. You do your preparation. You visualize what you want to accomplish. You feel and Make, you know, check off the boxes of what you need to do to accomplish that. Then you go to the action part. So that's preparation. Then action is, can you act with minimum self-interference? Can you get out of your own way and perform to the best of your abilities through commitment and freedom and trust? Mm -hmm. And then the last part is, how did it go? And that's response to results. So P-R, mm -hmm. action. And the response to results is you reinforce your successes and you learn from your mistakes 
and adjust your preparation for the next time so you have a cycle of continuous improvement. Your response to results lets you prepare better, act more effectively, and get better results, and then continue to reinforce that. Yeah, excellent, Joe. I was thinking a lot about when you were talking about vision and goals, uh, similar to how I see it. You know, I think goals should be your motivation and to keep you going and kind of what you said, inspiration. But sometimes people think about the goals at the wrong time, like when they're playing golf or when they're competing or in the middle of a presentation, you know, where that's not the right time to be thinking in the future, right? It's, it's really about high performance, peak performance is, is staying focused on the here and now. I have a question about, um, you know, since you've worked with some of the best, you know, number ones in the world, what do you see them do differently? And maybe give us a little insight on like what got them there. If it's like Vijay Singh or Christy Kerr, for example. Uh, I, I'll tell you the theme that runs through um, for, for all great players like that. And my personal experience with the two of them. One is passion. Loving mm -hmm. the game. Yeah. Want, wanting to be the best and willing to put in the work to be the best. And then the second is discipline. Yeah. The quality mm -hmm. of the routine and the willingness to commit to it and that level of commitment and, and trusting their own skills. That's the third part, trusting their own Trust. abilities. Yeah. Okay. So. I watched Christy play and uh, in the LPGA championship, her routine was the most consistent you could possibly imagine. Even after on the last hole, she had an 11 shot lead and wow. still did her routine to a tee, birdied the last hole and broke the record for margin of victory in the LPGA championship. And we assessed her tournament and for, um, let's see, about 260 shots or, or more, there were only six shots in the whole four days that she did not hit with full commitment. Wow, six that, out of the 260. Yeah, that yeah. and about okay. 98%. So, wow. So that wow. level, that level is what sets records. That mm -hmm. level of commitment and trust, that level of discipline in the routine, both pre and post shot. And and when I talked with VJ about something, he said, "I don't want you to check on me. I will do it if I if I feel like this is going to work for me. You can be sure I did it." And we talked about a change in his language and mm -hmm. his, what he was looking at and focusing on before shots. And I didn't check with him, I checked with his caddy. And I said, after about two weeks, I said, how's he doing on that change? He said, 90%. Wow. After two weeks. That's how willing and able to make those changes. And you can see, you can see that in all, all great players. And, and this is what I wanted to share with you. They aren't satisfied no matter how well they're doing, they always want to excel and see what could I do better? Mm. So they're, not, they're not complacent. 
you want to be a champion, you can't be complacent. Mm. I think that's so powerful. And also I'm thinking a lot about this doesn't just relate to golf. I mean, it relates to all sports, you know, but really all people at the top of their game or their top of their business, you know, it's like this constant never ending improvement. But the thing I heard you say there was always excelling and learning you know, now I didn't hear you say like beating themselves up for the mistakes they made, just like this more of this learning mindset. Uh, Joe, we just we did a study last year where we interviewed um, elite. So they're all they're all pro athletes. We interviewed 18 of them about how they developed their grit. And um, and actually the way they described grit was exactly what you said, like passion. Uh, they always wanted to get better. They were disciplined. They were willing to make sacrifices, you know. Um, so I think that that theme is consistent in, in your answer, which is cool. <laughs> and language is important because what just what you said, beat yourself up. I mean, I, I have a chapter in Zen Golf uh, yeah. called Fire Your Evil Caddy. And I do an exercise with, with people and say, what if your caddy just before you teed off said, oh, you know, everybody's watching. So try not to screw up. And, you know, just get it over with. I mean, what are you waiting for? I'm sure you're going to mess this one up. And I said, how long do you want that guy as your caddy? And, and everybody answers, they're already fired. I said, okay, now, how often have you said those things to yourself? And in the room, there's this murmur of, oh, yeah. Right. And that's why you carry this evil caddy around with you, judging yourself and criticizing yourself. And the key is... Yeah. The language, I, I say, I don't say, what are your strengths and weaknesses? I say, what are your strengths and where are there areas with room for improvement? Okay. You don't, you, you reinforce your success, but you don't beat yourself up from your mistakes. You learn from them and use them as an opportunity. And great players have said, I never learned anything from a match that I won. Hmm. I only learned when I fell short and what I needed to do to excel even more in that situation. So yeah. that, that's what champions do. Well, and there's so many concepts that um, I got your book right in front of me with all the tabs I wanted to talk about. And you can see the things I highlighted. Um, and I'm just thinking about a few things that I really like that I think reinforce what you just said is like, you are not your thoughts. You talk about in one of the chapters there. Um, and then you later on, you talk about like how to uh, get good at a bad round of golf or how to love how a, to bad round of, a bad round of golf. There we go. And I like that idea. I think that really fits with what you're just saying here is like learning, even, you know, if it's not going great for you and taking that mindset. So maybe that's where we go first. And then I want to ask you about how you produce what you fear. So um, maybe tell us a bit more about how to enjoy a bad round of golf, because I think Obviously this relates to golf, but uh, maybe it's a bad day of work or um, maybe it's your day starts, you know, bad, whatever bad means, right? That sounds like a lot of judgment, but you get out of bed and you got a headache and you think your day is going to be terrible, right? Um, or you have a tough meeting at the beginning of your day. There's so many ways that we could apply this idea. Well, I have a chapter I'd, I'd rather focus on, and that is who knows what's good and what's bad. Yeah. It's, a, it's an old story where something happens that seems to be bad and then it turns out hey that was good and then mm -hmm. people said well okay so that's good and then that turns out to be bad and they say oh well, that's bad yeah. and that turns out to be good uh the yeah. example i give is you miss you miss your flight 
at the at the airport and you think, oh, that's bad. I'm going to have to do all these things on my when I get on the other end, and I'm going to miss this appointment. And you're sitting at the bar and commiserating with somebody next to you, and they say, and what is it that you do? And you end up meeting somebody that's a connection that gets you a much better situation, and the you know, and 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 a and a huge contract of business. So who knew? Who knows what turned out? What was good and what's bad? So how we think things are yeah. going to turn out aren't always that way and and mm. if you have that round of golf you okay one of one of the things that it usually what usually happens is you go in thinking i found the secret oh i got this one swing feel this one key and that's gonna that's gonna take me all the way or you think oh i got this the, i i made this comment at a presentation and it went it went over really well and i'm going to use that in my next one and you get out there and it doesn't hold up. And, yeah. and somehow the ball isn't going where you thought it was going to go. And you make your presentation and you go, and, and nobody reacts. And then you, you panic. Okay. And you go, uh oh, that's, and so you say, okay, what can I learn from this? Not to take things for granted, to understand that everything's always changing, not to bring something canned and something that you're trying to copy from a past experience to a next mm -hmm. one. There is the mm -hmm. learning opportunity. Mm -hmm. And you can have one bad round of golf that you, you, you find, and you're working and trying to find your key, and you find a key that leads to a dozen great rounds after that. Yeah. How bad a round was it? Was it bad? Or was it, did it turn out it was good that yeah. that happened to you? Because look what it led to. Yeah, that's what I enjoyed about reading that chapter was, you know, it's like letting you wrote, letting go of the poor result you had on the last hole and having a gives you a better chance of enjoying the hole that you're playing now. And you said you can't know for certain if it's a bad round until the round's over. But it's like our judgment just um, kicks in, right? So it's it's learning to soften that voice, which I think is really what mindfulness helps you do. Absolutely. And, and realizing that judging voice. And I remember I, I listened to one of your podcasts about judging. Yeah. And, and um, the, you know, the question came up, you know, why is it bad to judge? And the reason is because yeah. we focus so much on the negative, right? You can roll in six five foot putts in a row and you, 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 you miss the seventh one what stands out in the round? Oh, I can't yeah. miss that easy putt. Wait a minute. Yeah. What about all the other ones that you could take credit for? You see, we we have this expectation. I'm supposed to do things right. Yep. If it goes wrong, it's a big deal. Uh -huh. I want to say, you know what? Why don't yeah. you make a big deal of, out of how right things go sometimes? That's wonderful. <laughs> and, and give yeah. yourself some rewards. Yeah for doing those instead of always beating yourself up and judging. So that's mm. why I came up with the ideal habit change system. Okay, let's talk about that. And then I then I want to go back to Zen Golf because I got these tabs in here. <laughs> got to ask you about, but let's talk about well, habit change. This is a, a in Zen Golf and it's the chapter Pebbles in the Bowl. Okay. And it's a habit change system that I trademarked as Ninja, N-I-N-J-A. And it stands for necessary intention and non-judgmental awareness. Mm -hmm. And, and I'll, I'll make it very simple. Okay. Necessary intention. You need to want to change. Mm 
you know, we, we, you know, we psychologists have a, a joke about how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb has to want to change. <laughs> so, 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 so we good. know that somebody has to be motivated yeah. to have the discipline mm -hmm. to change their habits. But the second part is the easy part, non-judgmental awareness. And that is, if you beat yourself up, you only feed that habit, you fuel it. Yeah. So instead, we just keep mindfully keep track how many times mm -hmm. I did a habit I'm trying to refrain from. Okay. And how many times I uh, also how many times I did a habit I'm trying to cultivate. And so each time you do it and reward yourself for cultivating but or don't judge yourself for for when you did it but know that your intention is to do less of them you will move yeah. in the same way that plants turn towards the sun it's your it's a human beings natural tendency to move in the direction of their intention if they stay out of their own way and mm. that's where the non-judgmental awareness comes in it's simply being mindful of what you're doing while you're doing it and not judging yourself of what you should be doing differently Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, I was listening to an interview with BJ Fogg. I don't know if you read his book called Tiny Habits and he was I, talking about. I heard the interview too. Yeah. One of the best ways to reinforce your habit is to celebrate what you just said. And he said, like, think about when you're working, watching your favorite sports team and at the end they score a field goal or, you know, win at the last shot. And he, he asks the people to think about or the audience to think about, like, how would you celebrate and I was thinking that I, I would celebrate like, yes, you know, with a big pump. So I've been trying to do that when I've been thinking about habits too, and just like reinforcing my own habits is celebrating those, which, which you basically, you know, said along with the, the non-judgmental awareness and not beating yourself up. It's, it's amazingly powerful and it works for physical things. It works for speech patterns and it mm -hmm. even works for thought patterns. Like some, sometimes I'll, I'll pre-rehearse yeah. what, what I'm going to write in an email the next day. Okay. And I've already, uh, okay, so once or twice, it's valuable. Once I pretty much have it, I don't have to keep replaying that thing. And it's not, but, but since we put energy into it, it creates a, a little neural tape loop in our brain. And there it goes again. So yeah. just by saying, you know what, I'm done with that. I don't need to count it. I don't need these anymore. Each time the tape loop starts, when I, I'm because I'm mindful of it and I set my intention, I simply go, oh, mentally, oh, that's one. Then time passes, oh, that's two. And it's amazing how few come back after that. So yeah. I, I encourage you, you can re see it in Zen Golf, that, that same... Uh, it's in Zen Tennis too, this habit-changing system, and <clears throat> and it really, really makes a difference. And it's 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 simple, and again, it's painless because it's non-judgmental. Absolutely. Now, that other chapter you were looking at for Zen Golf, you produce oh, yeah. you produce what you fear. Yeah, tell us about that. Well, that's that's kind of the self-fulfilling prophecy, um, and th this came up with uh, with BJ. One of the first things he asked me was. You know, I've been around a long time. I played these courses a lot. I know where the bad places are. How do I not think about those? And and in fact, if you focus on what you're trying to avoid, 
Yes. You will either go there because your brain has a mistaken image of where you think you want to go, or you'll go completely in the opposite direction. Okay. Now, in golf, there's a, a tendency that we produce what we fear because if we're afraid of um, missing a putt, for example, we get very tentative and kind of decel when we get to the ball and get kind of guidey rather than trusting our stroke. Huh? We're afraid we're going to miss it. We miss it. If we're afraid of hooking the ball, we kind of don't want to go so far to the left. That's the direction the hook goes. And, and our body stops moving, our hands flip over, and the ball goes to the left. So very often, the thing that we're trying to avoid is exactly what we produce. And that, yeah. ha and that happens in business as well. If mm -hmm. we're worried about losing a client, we act yeah. very needy. And the client sees that and says, if these guys are worried about losing me, what else should I be worried about? Absolutely. And, and they go somewhere yeah. else. So you, it's important to um, know what your limits are, be aware of your capabilities, but then trust those capabilities and pre-accept the full range of results. Pre-acceptance is the key to commitment. Pre-acceptance is the key to commitment. If you can't accept, if you can't handle what's going to happen, you will mm. not be able to commit to the path that you took. Mm. So give us a sense of how that plays out either in golf or life or business. Well, um, in golf, if you are hitting towards a flagstick, but there's trouble to one side of it, and you can't accept that, you know what, if it goes in the trouble, I can handle it. You will sure. not let yourself go all the way through you'll 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 stop at the ball or you'll push it in the direction away from the trouble yeah if you're afraid of um you know of losing a client uh and you say you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna present what i think is best for this client and if they decide that our company is not the best for them well maybe they're not the best client for us and then you're going to present with confidence but if you're worried about saying the wrong thing and the client might leave, you're going to come across tentatively in the same way and not Absolutely. really make, make a, and you won't be able to make a committed presentation that says, here it is, here's the whole thing. And maybe you're holding something back and not trust you. And it makes me think, uh, there's one piece I highlighted on page 104 in Zen Golf, and it was, you said, fear produces the tendency to over, over control. So the first step towards uh, going beyond fear is acknowledging it. We can recognize our fears and learn, learn to choose how we respond, whether than, than to automatically just react to them. Um, and it makes me think of one other thing I really liked in the book, which is you talk about giving, giving up control to get control. Tell us a bit about how that's important in, in your work in general. Well, th that's essentially the same thing, that uh, if you feel like you have to control things, it kind of means you don't trust it. Yeah. You know, in our ordinary language, what's a, what would you, we describe as a control freak? That's somebody who feels like they have to make sure everything is taken care of, and they're worried about, they're needing to get a particular result and afraid of not getting that. And that's what I'm saying. Pre-acceptance saying, I can handle 
yes, I have a result that I'd like. I have a, my vision, but I sure. can know how everything's are going to turn out. And I can adjust and adapt as, as things play exactly. out because I can't ultimately control the goals. And there's a lot of uncontrollable factors there. Life is, uh, a lot of life is beyond our control. And it, you know, your level of success is not going to be as much what happens to you as it is how you respond to what happens to you. Uh, excellent. So Joe, how would you answer this question? question like what advice would you give to somebody who wants to either get to the top of their game or, or stay there well to i think i've talked about all the things you need to do to get to the top of your game and that is to have that vision and the discipline and commitment and passion to work hard to get step to step to step to step on on the way to that how do you stay there um not being complacent about staying there but always wanting to get better and get to and and do more and then to really stay there say this is what i've been able to accomplish how do i help others accomplish what they're trying to as well as i was able to and when you can when you can expand to others then you really stay at the top of your game that's who is the most respected not somebody who's just doing it for themselves but somebody mm -hmm. gives back and somebody who wants to bring everybody else along with them, that's what a leader is. Not somebody to, who accomplishes for themselves, but somebody who wants to accomplish for the whole organization. Excellent. So Joe, you, I could have you back. I need to, because I'm thinking <laughs> uh, we could keep on talking for a couple of hours. Um, so uh, tell us a little bit about all the great work. I mean, I just am impressed with all the books that you have. Uh, obviously we talked about Zen golf a lot. You have Zen tennis. You have a diet book, um, the best diet book ever, The Zen of Losing Weight, and then your new book, A Walk in the Wood, Meditations on Mindfulness with a Bear Named Pooh. Um, so tell us where we might get any of these books and other things that you could offer to those who are listening. I think the simplest thing to do is go to my website. That's Dr. Joe Parent, D-R-J-O-E-P-A-R-E-N-T.com. Uh, it, it's all there. So you'll see the different topic areas, my business consulting, which is keynotes and executive coaching and mindfulness training programs for business and stress management, and then golf and other sports, life coaching um, that connects with mindfulness and relationships, and also the, the weight loss based on my diet book. So those are the, the four main areas. And then the, the services, as we as I just talked about, uh, I do virtual coaching like, you know, Zoom and FaceTime and Skype and WhatsApp uh, around the world, both for golf, for other sports and for business consulting and executive coaching. The, uh, I also teach in person at the beautiful Ojai Valley Inn in Southern California, but you'll see all that on the website, you'll see my books, videos, audios. I have a Zen Golf app that, that it's not an interactive one. It's a library of all my audios and about a hundred videos. Wow. So all of those are available. And I have a YouTube channel, same name, Dr. Joe Parent, where you'll see, and you can, you can uh, listen to and participate in my guided mindfulness sessions. And those guided mindfulness sessions are ones that I do on Zoom 
every two weeks. So if you sign up for my free quote of the week, you'll get notices of when those sessions are, or you can find it in the free resources at drjoeparent.com. But I send out a golf quote, a golf video tip, and a life quote from the diet book or the Winnie the Pooh book every week. Oh, excellent. And I checked out those uh, videos on YouTube the other day, and I thought they were really um, powerful, you know, that you, you could actually go right now and, and listen to a mindfulness session or an awareness session or some compassion meditations with Dr. Joe. So website again is Dr. Joe Parrot, and uh, you can find all the resources we just talked about there. Joe, there's uh, several things that I wrote down that I'm going to just work to recap. Um, I enjoyed uh, what you said about how mindfulness is a skill and a practice. And I think that's helpful for people to know. When we were talking about um, what the best of the best do and uh, you know that they're constantly working to improve, they have passion, discipline, they're willing to make sacrifices. But then I, I also heard in that that they're, they're, they learn, right? That they're continuously growing and not, not beating themselves up or judging themselves. And um, what we also talked about is your ninja system of, of habit change. I think that's powerful to really take this kind of non-judgmental awareness when you're trying to create a new habit. So Joe, thank you so much for joining us. I'm grateful that you've been here. Do you have any kind of final advice or, or comments for us? Uh, I, th I think we've covered pretty much everything. And I'm really happy to have been able to participate in the, in the program. Um, I do really want to invite everyone to participate in these guided mindfulness and compassion meditation sessions. And again, you can find all that on drjoeparent.com. And, and it's a pleasure uh, meeting you virtually. I hope yeah. we are as cross in person sometime. And, uh, and thank you for having me on. Thank you, Joe. Way to go for finishing another episode of the High Performance Mindset. I'm giving you a virtual fist pump. Holy cow, did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, remember to subscribe and you can head over to Dr. Sindra for show notes and to join my exclusive community for high performers where you get access to videos about mindset each week. So again, you can head over to Dr. Sindra. That's D-R-C-I-N-D-R-A dot com. See you next week.